In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Jesus said, listen, a sower went out to sow. I don't know about you, but I believe that one of the most delicious things about this marvelous space is the stained glass windows. I've often come in here just to have a look and to meditate upon one of them. My favorite is the one just above me in the clearest story. It depicts the crucifixion. It's made by the English firm Clayton and Bell, who also made the Te Deum window over the high altar. But there's a set of windows which we usually pay no attention to. You may never have seen them. They are in the honor room, that space through the door to your right in the south transept. They too are clearest story windows. I can't resist telling you they are, that they are the work of twin sisters, Genevieve and Maud Cowell, who were notable illustrators at the turn of the previous century. They have not only a religious, but an artistic importance. And that set of windows depict the parables in Matthew 13. You'll be hearing these parables on the following Sundays. And the rector at the notices will tell you how to get into the honor room. It requires special instruction. What you can see in the honor room in that first window is the sower, the subject of today's parable. There he is, looking, as far as I can tell, diligent. He's in a floppy hat, keeping the sun out of his eyes. A sack of seed is across his chest, and he's striding along, casting those seeds hither and yon. There are several things I'd like to point out, however, before we look more closely at what Jesus wants you and me to know about this morning. If nothing else, this parable may be one of the most important of all. We can make this claim because the parable is about nothing less than the kingdom of God. In addition, it shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and each of them give it top billing, 23 verses, 25 verses, and 15 verses, respectively. The fact is that this story of the sower is a turning point in Jesus' ministry. It's the first of the parables about the kingdom of God. Could it be that Jesus was thinking, maybe this time my followers might get the point of what I'm trying to do for them? At the Wednesday evening Eucharist this past week, for another reason entirely, I shared a story about a young woman I knew who all too frequently barged ahead with her own ideas no matter what. She even tried to impose them on others, and that sent them on the run when they saw her coming. 
She was, shall I say, exhausting. But one day, we were chatting about why it might be that she acted this way. And she said something slightly amusing, very fanciful, and a bit, quite honestly, to my surprise, self-aware. It was on the, along the lines of, there we'll all be, sitting on God's throne. I'll be trying to nudge everyone else off, and God too. And then she said, but I'll be there all by myself. And she stopped and looked very sad. She sighed. And that was the end of our conversation. You see, getting in her own way was her issue. To be certain, she had tremendous gifts to offer. But the sad thing was that she got in her own way trying to give those gifts. So, why is it that we might get in our own way? It's been suggested that self-sabotage happens when we hold on to fear or loss or failure or rejection, to name just a few things. Have you ever insisted that you were too tired or too busy or too broke or too involved with something else? to really get a worthwhile thing finished. But were those all good and real reasons? Or are the reasons really fear or pain or never taking ourselves seriously? I, for example, am very sorry that at one point in my life, I got in my own way. Well, I have to confess more than once. I spent seven years making every excuse in the book, not making up with someone because I held on to anger and I couldn't find the courage to do so. I stood in my own way. And what was the result? I ended up losing seven years out of fellowship with a fascinating, talented, and unique person. How silly I was. I want to suggest that this dynamic in our lives is what Jesus had in heart and mind when he uses the parables to bring us to the new life he holds out. It seems that at least he's asking, do we need to get in our own way? What's happening then in Matthew's gospel might bring to our attention what he thinks about getting in our own way. Oddly enough, today's lesson is missing eight verses. The scholars who set the lessons do this from time to time. When it happens, the child in me comes to life. I've just got to find out what's missing. One year I decided that whenever a lesson left out something, I had to preach on that. Well, may I confess that was a big mistake. Nonetheless, I got brave and looked at the eight verses missing this morning. Of all things, 
putting ourselves in our own way when it comes to holding on to Jesus' good news is what he talks about in those verses. Quote, though they seeing, they do not see, though hearing, they do not hear or understand. We might conclude that Jesus is pointing out that we are putting ourselves in our own way when it comes to understanding and entering into the life of the kingdom of God. For Jesus' audience, whenever it thought of kingdoms, they were rough and arbitrary, full of power and cruelty and domination. Whenever he was thought of as the Messiah, that is the expected king of Israel, the savior from bondage, many of those power definitions also came to mind. Wasn't after all the Messiah to ride in with power and authority and defeat the Roman oppressors? Aren't those the characteristics of kingdoms? Well, so it seemed to be. Interestingly, in passing, this same dynamic came up at the book discussion group on Wednesday. The kingdom of God was mentioned, and an observation was made that the idea is hierarchical. It's authoritarian. It implies power. It requires domination. And so it may seem. Yet, dare I say so, when we try to define the kingdom of God in 21st century terms, hierarchical or authoritarian, for example, are we any different from the Jews to whom Jesus was speaking? Are we all not getting in our own way? When Jesus sat beside the sea to teach his followers, he might have thought that enough was enough. He might have thought, if I turn these people right side up, maybe they will be empowered to get out of their own way. They need to see the kingdom of God defined in a way they never imagined, in a way you and I often don't imagine, as it really is. So we finally get to the parable. We know the scene, a field, a man, a sack of wheat, the job, planting the seeds, the results, no plant, scorched and withered plants, choked plants, and grain. We know the action, casting the seeds as the sower does. They go all over the place, on the path and down the bird's throats, all over the rocky ground in tangles of thorns, and even on good soil. Some seeds were eaten and grew quickly. Some didn't last. Some were choked. Some grew into grain and multiplied. Jesus' first attention getter in the parable is that the soil in that field hadn't been prepared. His listeners would not have missed that. And even I, when I read this story, didn't miss that. How well I remember helping my father rearrange his rose garden. 
I was about 14, and I assure you it's the last thing I wanted to do. My father was an engineer, and everything had to be done just right. The boundaries were laid out with plumb lines, and we spent about two hours getting the soil right. But more yet had to be done. Things had to be added to that soil and so forth. Well, after two days of that, the bushes were finally unpacked. And out came a yardstick, and each bush was put into place according to a drawing my father had made. They were measured, measured, and measured. Just the right amount of water was poured in, and so we were finished. At 14, however, I wished that I'd been the sower, throwing those rose bushes out just like the seed, but I've gotten distracted. The second attention getter is that the good seed, the good seed produces more than ever could have been expected, even in a bumper year for a crop. Graciously then, Jesus explains the parable for us and likens us to that seed. For those who hear the word and don't understand it, all is lost. For those who hear the word in a flush of enthusiasm, it doesn't last. For those who hear the word and are entangled and lured away in the thorns of everyday life, they yield nothing. Then comes, of course, the punchline. The one who hears the word and understands it bears that fruit in abundance. End of story. But is it? I believe, if you'll bear with me, that there is something more happening in this parable of the kingdom of God. And it takes hold and remains part of Jesus' teaching through his death and resurrection, and it should do so in our hearts and in our lives. I'll make bold to quote verse 9 of the lesson. You heard it already. Let anyone with ears listen. The parable of the sower points out, no, I'll insist, that the kingdom of God is in action and at work at all times and places and for all people. This parable didn't just happen years ago by the Sea of Galilee, it's part of life now. Is this not what the image of the four kinds of soil depicts in the parable? What a helter-skelter that sower marches across. Now, of course, he's not named, he's just there. We're not told what day of the week it is, it's just a day. We're not told where that field is, it's just a field. That soil represents all of us, good, bad, and indifferent. What we hear said in the Book of Common Prayer, all sorts and conditions of human beings. This kingdom then is not of power and meanness, unthinking authoritarianism and insensitivity, but something entirely different, thank God, of love and justice, 
provision and care, compassion and good sense. It is not just meant for some places or on some occasions or for a select few. Now, this not be, may not be news to you, but it does seem to have been forgotten in some places and at some times and by some people who make loud and insistent claims to citizenship in the kingdom of God. And this is forgotten to their peril and the peril of those whom they would influence. Could it be that these sisters and brothers can't find out how to get out of their own way? Well, what about us this morning? It might be well to recall that this lovely pile is built on a field, Henry Brevoort's apple orchard. I don't know what kind of soil that was like in 1846, and in a way it doesn't matter. But I do know firsthand about the soil that is here at this very moment, you and I. And we are called, as those sitting by the Sea of Galilee were called, to get out of our own way. And that's through the love of Jesus Christ. We're called to be dynamic, faithful citizens in his kingdom of a new kind. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, amen.